you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Job chapter 36. Last week we looked at the first 16 verses of chapter 36, and this is the argument of the young man named Elihu. Now, Elihu has a different approach to talking to Job than Job's three friends do. Remember that Job's three friends come to him, and they say to him, Job, here's the way the world works. If you are good, good things happen. If you are bad, bad things happen. Look at all the bad things that have happened to you, Job. Obviously, you have committed some grievous sin, and you need to repent of it, and then good things will happen to you again. These three men, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, had a prosperity gospel that is very much alive and well in the 21st century, where people tell us that if you become a Christian, you'll never again have another problem. Nothing could be further from the truth, of course, but the truth doesn't always matter to some people, you see. So Elihu now comes in this speech, and he says that he gets his knowledge from afar. And I said last week that that means his knowledge has come from God. Uh, God is often described in the Old Testament as being far off. When Elihu says that one is perfect in knowledge is with you, he is not being arrogant. He is saying, I am speaking the words of God. I am giving to you uh, an infallible prophecy. Not because Elihu knows everything, but God knows everything. Now, Elihu's argument is that Job is dangerously close to being like the unbeliever. The unbeliever doubts the wisdom and the power of God. And so the unbeliever comes to say that God is not just. God is not righteous. And Elihu says that is impossible. Because God is God, he is just. And a matter of fact, Elihu, in his argument, there is the, the implicit demand that only, only God, only because there is a just God, can justice even be a reality. There would be no justice. There would be no righteousness were it not for God. Because God is perfect in his wisdom... And because he is perfect in his power, Elihu argues quite forcefully that only cosmic power can bring about cosmic justice. And so uh, Elihu comes in verse 17 with a, an admonition. He turns and begins to address Job personally. He's been addressing all four of them, Job and his three friends. But he gives us some general truths about the sovereignty of God and that these truths bear directly on Job's case and they have to do with us as well. He asks the question, what has God been doing in your life? Well, surprisingly, the answer that Elihu gives is that God had been 
luring Job out of the very mouth of jaws, or the jaws of distress. The words out of distress in, the first, in verse 16 are literally out of the mouth of distress. In the sense of being rescued from the very jaws of danger. Uh, this would seem to be death and hell personified. And these are threatening to devour Job because of Job's attitude of proud defiance before God. Job, Elihu says that Job did not commit some sin that caused his suffering, but that Job has sinned in his suffering. He has sinned by questioning the justice and the goodness and the righteousness of God. And Elihu says to Job what Job said to his wife back at the beginning of his distress. Remember, Job says to his wife, you talk like a foolish woman. He didn't say you were a foolish woman. He said you talk like one. You know, we have received good from the hand of God. Shall, not, we, shall we not now receive evil? You know, uh, so Elihu says to Job, you are talking like someone who is an unbeliever. You're talking like someone who does not believe that God is righteous and holy and just. Uh, by the sufferings that Job has endured, God is seeking to lure him back into a broad place, an unconstricted place. Suffering always confines and narrows our world. Uh, many times as uh, people get older, their world is constricted because they are less and less healthy enough to be out and about. And uh, when suffering finally restricts people enough, we refer to them as homebound or shut in. And, and so Elihu says, God is luring you out of that confined space. He wants to bring you again into a broad place. It is the purpose of God to give him blessing. Uh, he is going to, to uh, make him full of fatness, a table full of fatness. Uh, uh, in our, our very weight-conscious society, being fat is not a blessing. Everywhere else in the world, it is a blessing. If you are fat, that means that you have been blessed with enough to eat. And wherever I go in the world, people look at me and say, what a blessing that man has received. Uh, so the problem with Job, however, is that instead of being full of God's blessing, he is full of the kind of false judgments that wicked people make. That's what Elihu says in the first part of verse 17. And because he is making those kind of judgments that the wicked make, he is in a place of danger. Now, verses 18 through 20 are a bit difficult to understand. Uh, scholars are undecided exactly what Elihu is saying. The ransom of the last part of verse 18 may refer to the costly repentance that Job must undergo. Job must repent, and he will. You remember, after Elihu's speech, then God will speak to him, and Job will say, I repent. Uh, he must repent 
because Job cannot save himself, verse 19. And he must not long for death as a cheap way out. Job has asked for death, you remember, a number of times. He wants out of the suffering, and he wants death to come. Uh, And he must not allow himself to go on saying sinful things, to, to questioning the justice and the righteousness of God. And Job has kind of done that as a way out of affliction. I think several times, if you look at the text, Job has sought to uh, impugn the character of God, hoping that God will strike him dead. And if he does, then he is out of the suffering that he is experiencing. Instead, Job must submit humbly uh, to the gracious discipline of God. In verses 22 through 25, Elihu goes back to the greatness of God. Behold, God is exalted in his power. But he focuses in particular on how the power of God is used to instruct uh, and teach people. Verse 22, he says, who is a teacher like him? God is the ultimate instructor who works powerfully and graciously in the lives of his people to bring them from grace to glory. Everything that God does in our lives today, he is working to bring us to glory. By his grace, all of the blessings that we receive, all of the adversity that comes into our life is designed to bring us by his grace to his glory. And nobody told God how to do it, verse 23. No one has the cosmic knowledge to tell God how he should do things. And yet as human beings, we are constantly doing just that. We pray for something, we know exactly how God should work it out, and then he doesn't work it out that way. In the life of the Apostle Paul, Paul prayed repeatedly to go to Rome. He did go to Rome, but he went to Rome in chains. Uh, God didn't work it out exactly the way Paul thought that he would. So you can't tell God that he's got it wrong. we, We must not do that. When things come into our lives that are difficult and that are hard or impossible to understand, we must never think that God has got it wrong that somehow this was not supposed to happen to us. And yet again, we do that. It's inevitable. How many times has something happened in your life and you thought, this wasn't supposed to happen. I'm a good person. I don't understand why this came to me. I mean, I can't understand why all this, you know, affliction and suffering and distress has come my way. It should have happened to Don Watmart. Not to me, you know. We, we all look at others and say, how come they got it so easy and I got it so hard? And Elihu says you can't do that because God is righteous. God is holy and he does no wrong and no one can tell him you didn't get it right. Rather, he says, Job, you need to be singing the praises of God for what, whatever he brings in your life. He says faithful, verse 24, he says faithful people have done this and you need to join the choir of those who are singing 
of God's goodness and mercy and grace. He needs to admit that he is one who looks on the cosmic greatness and grace and justice of God from afar. God is above us. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways above your thoughts and your ways. He needs to listen to the words that God has given Elihu, words of inspired prophecy. They come from afar. Now in all of this, Elihu may may seem to you to be a bit harsh with Job, but he is actually bringing gospel truth to Job. He is telling him that only the power of a sovereign God can bring about real justice. Uh, Job has suffered. He suffered terribly. I said, besides Jesus Christ, no man in history suffers like Job because no man has been this great and fallen this far. Uh, But no matter how terribly Job has suffered, to respond with arrogant protest toward God, to say, God, you got it wrong. This should not have happened to me. Elihu says that is a very, very dangerous and wrong course to take, and that Job must repent of it. Elihu knows that this kind of argument is accurate, but it lacks the persuasive force to change entrenched positions. So what he does now in the remainder of this speech uh, is to engage Job, to, to remind Job of some things that he knows but apparently has forgotten. There are two motifs that are interwoven in verses 26 through 33. On one hand, there is the sense of mystery, of the wonderful and awesome transcendence of God. When we say that God is transcendent, we mean that He is beyond us. Uh, God's government of the world is beyond our comprehension. It is beyond our figuring out. Then on the other hand, there is explanation and teaching and a brief indication of the purpose of God as to why God governs the world the way that he does. Elihu makes his final uh, behold God. And those are, very, those are statements that remind us this is a headline. This is something that we should listen to. It is not only that God is great, but that he is beyond our understanding. The expression, we know him not, does not mean that we cannot enter into a relationship with God, but that he is beyond our comprehension. Theologians talk about an attribute of God known as his incomprehensibility. Now, the original meaning of that word was not that you could not know someone, but that you cannot know them exhaustively, can't know them fully. We can know God, but we can, know it, we can never know everything that God knows. In 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul says, 
that we shall now he says now we you know we look in a mirror darkly then face to face then now we know but then we shall know also as we are fully known he means that we will know God without sin apart from sin God looks at us with no sin because God has no sin we our view of God today is always tainted by sin always one day we will know God and we will not be tainted by sin. But we will never know God fully, exhaustively. Jesus said, only the Son can know the Father. Only the Spirit can know the Father. Only God can know God. I hear well-meaning preachers sometimes who say, oh, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything that God does. No, you won't. No, no. God is infinite. We're finite. Now, I, I, I certainly hope we'll know a whole lot more when we get to heaven than we know now. But you see, God, being God, the wonderful thing about knowing God is that there's always more to know. There's always more of His grace, more of His glory, more of His majesty, more of His power, more of His goodness. Always more to know. If time were present in heaven, and it will not be, but if it were, we could say in five trillion years, we will still be learning about God. We cannot know God fully, but now listen, we can know God truly. We can know the love of God. We can't exhaust the love of God, but we know that the love of God is true. We know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We know that God is light. We cannot exhaust that light, but we know that it is true that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. We know that God is life. We can't exhaust that life. It is infinite. It is eternal. And we are bound by time incomprehensibility does not mean that we cannot know anything about God. It means that we cannot know everything about God. Again, last week I said sometimes we, we get the impression or we, we kind of get in our minds that God's just a little bit smarter than, than Albert Einstein. No, no, he's infinitely, infinitely wiser than any mere man who has ever lived. Uh, so the, the power of God, the wisdom of God is so great that we cannot and must not fully expect to understand Him. That applies to suffering. Why has suffering come into your life? Why did you have cancer? Why have you had a stroke? Why have you had a heart problem? I don't know. You may not ever know. You may never know. But we must trust that God's knowledge being perfect and His power being perfect, that it is what He intended to happen in your life. And it is ultimately for your good and for His glory. That, that's the lesson that Elihu is telling Job. And Job knows that. Job said that at the beginning of the book. But 
when suffering is prolonged, when it goes on and on and on, then we begin to question the goodness of God and the justice of God and the power of God. So then Elihu uh, talks about a process that in, in this time would be completely unknown to man. The process of evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. Then that was totally beyond natural comprehension. You don't understand how the, the waters are drawn up and then they come back down as rain. And yet they are beneficial. They drop on mankind abundantly, he says in verse 28. The process is mysterious and yet unintelligible. Uh, it is mysterious in its means and it's intelligible in its result. We know that the rain brings growth. Elihu says, you don't understand how that happens, but you know that it's good. You don't understand why God is doing in your life what he is doing, but you can trust God to know that it's good. He moves beyond that to a violent thunderstorm. You know, the thunderstorm comes, we don't know why. We, don't, we, we see the majesty and the power of God in the lightning as it flashes around. Uh, it declares his presence, Elihu says. Uh, it tells us that, that God is great. He is majestic. He can cause the lightning bolts to go to the roots of the sea. The idea there being that it can light up even the depths of the sea, the most mysterious part of creation, that which man cannot know. He says that in all of this, as with the rain, there is a purpose. For by these he judges people, he gives food in abundance. A storm can cause terrible damage, as it had done with Job in chapter 1. But the resulting rainfall also fertilizes the, the crops, brings growth for food. The same action of God that brings judgment for some brings blessing to others. Just as the same affliction brings blessing to the righteous and judgment for the ungodly in heart. Bad things happen to everybody. We're sometimes like Job and like Aphaz uh, or Asaph in Psalm 73. We think that, that the wicked always prosper, whereas the righteous always suffer. That's not true. Bad things happen to everybody. It is your reaction to them that is important. The same, the same sun, you know, that softens the wax, hardens the clay. When affliction, when adversity comes into your life, how do you respond? Do you get mad at God? Do you shake your fist at God? In proud defiance? In arrogance? Saying, you've made a mistake? God, you've, you've messed up? This was not supposed to happen to me. Or do you do like Job did at the beginning and say, God has given and God has taken away and blessed 
be the name of the Lord. It is our reaction to it. The fact, the fact that we do not understand what God is doing in the world does not cancel out his justice or his righteousness. It does not mean that God is incompetent when we don't understand what he's doing. Do you honestly think that you can comprehend all that there is to know about God? I've said many, many times, if, if you and I can figure out all there is to know about God, there ain't much to Him. But that's not true. Elihu says God is infinite in wisdom. He is infinite in power. Therefore, Job, trust Him. Trust Him. He cannot make a mistake, and he will not do wrong. He will always do what is right. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father,